Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Cup Reviews, brought to you by Cup of Hemlock Theater. I am your host, marketing manager, co-producer of all things the Cup, Mackenzie. And tonight, we are have a very exciting panel for you and a very exciting production we are talking about. We are talking about Henry VIII by William Shakespeare, and this was put on by the Stratford Festival. So there we are. And joining me tonight, uh, we have some uh, performers from the show joining our wonderful panel. panel. So first off, we have uh, Irene Poole. Hello, Irene. Hello. Hello. Yes, yeah, so you played uh, Queen Catherine of Aragon uh, in this uh, production. Uh, so why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and what is in your cup tonight? Uh, okay, sure. I am Irene Poole um, mm -hmm. and uh, have the great pleasure of playing Queen Catherine. In my cup tonight is uh, bubbly water. We call it bubbly water in our house because we have kids who call it bubbly water. And my cup, though, is the Wright State University. And this was a mm -hmm. gift from a group of people who came from Wright State University to see Henry VIII. And Brad Hodder and I who was also in the show with us, hosted a gathering with these people and um, they gave us a mug. So this is my Henry VIII Wright State University mug. I love that, I love that. And I mean, you've been at the festival for a long time. I, I, I mean, you started back in 2008. I remember seeing you in Three Sisters, but yeah. Another Martha, another Martha Henry. Yes. Show. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. You and Lucy Peacock. Uh, That's were right. In that one together, but but I mean, like you've been you've you you span the spectrum. I mean, I loved your Jean Louise Finch in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Right. Uh, like yeah. just going through. Uh, I, I, you you've been in Taming of the Shrew. Uh, you've done a whole bunch of uh, of different things. I, I I mean, I loved your Cassius and Julius Caesar was such a different Cassius that I had seen right. before. So I thoroughly enjoyed that. So. Yeah, like you've just kind of spanned the spectrum. Is there any like particular performance of Stratford that that that, that, that uh, stood out to you over your six seasons, or I guess now seven seasons? I, you know what? I have to say, as you list them, mm -hmm. uh, I feel very lucky to have played um, all those great roles. Mm -hmm. I would have to say, if I if I had to choose some favorites, mm -hmm. um, it would have to be Three Sisters mm -hmm. and Henry VIII. Yeah. I, I mean, I. Is it a coincidence that they're both Martha? I, I suspect not. I mean, I love working with her. She's a brilliant woman. Um, and she always brings such interesting ideas to the table, things that I had not thought of in both, in, in both shows. So I would say, yes, my Martha shows have been actually my favorites that, I, that I've worked on here. Love that. Love that. And then well, also joining us, we have the wonderful Mr. Uh, Tim Campbell. Hello, Tim. Hi, how are you guys? I am doing well. Welcome aboard. You also were in Henry VIII, uh, and you played the uh, wonderful, uh, short-lived Duke of Buckingham. That's uh, right. Short and sweet. Uh, yeah, short and sweet, but both very luscious locks of, of, of Indeed. <laughs> Indeed, which I had kind of, because it's been now two and a half years, two years mm -hmm. since we've actually performed it. I'd kind of forgotten about the hair until we rewatched the film recently. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of shocked yeah. by my own locks. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, so what is in your cup today? Oh, okay. Well, I picked this glass. It's, the, the, it's got 
some white wine in it, I think. But um, most, uh, I picked the glass because it's got some kind of a, a Francesca Callo who Ooh. designed our show. It's got kind of a modern yet Elizabethan line to the yeah. glass, I thought, yeah. like the shape of it. So, yes. Which was kind of what she did with the design. Mm -hmm. So that's why I picked it. Love that. Love that. And I mean, you also have done 11 seasons at, at the at the festival i mean the last show i saw you in prior to henry the eighth was uh the crucible where, where, you, where you were a wonderful john proctor a very Thank heartbreaking you. john proctor but you've also gone the spectrum from being in the scottish play to hamlet julius caesar you also were into kill a mockingbird as well so i mean like that's you've right done a lot of different uh works at the festival as well so, so is there any particular production that stood out to you over your 11 seasons? Hmm. Well, again, uh, uh, in, oh God, I can't remember what year it was, but a couple of years before we were all in Henry VIII together, Martha Henry directed me uh, in a production of All My Sons. Yeah. And I played Chris Keller in that. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're really super lucky as an actor, maybe once or twice, during the, the course of your career, you get to play a role where the uh, the interior psychological landscape of the character and yourself got to fit. Uh, so there's not a lot of distance. And I really, like the first time I read that play, I thought, oh my God, I, I, I understand this man. Yeah. Every beat of the performance I understand. Yeah. And so I would say that that's probably one of my fondest memories at the festival. And mm -hmm. I love playing Proctor too. I love playing Proctor with the condition that that is a, uh, like the, the events that take place during mm -hmm. the course of that play for the man yeah. playing Proctor are kind of uh, fraught emotional territory, mm -hmm. but it, it felt uh, like a good workout. It felt yeah. like you'd, you'd it, like, it felt as though you had put in uh, a hard, honest mm -hmm. day's work by the time that yeah. you were done those yeah. three hours. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. Like you run the gambit in that show. I, I, like that entire performance, just the emotional highs and lows you have to get through are insane. Uh, Arthur Miller wrote a very <laughs> intense piece. Yeah. That... I love, I love Miller. I've done, uh, I've done, God, I, I feel really lucky. I've done Crucible, All My Sons, and I've done, I've been in two productions of Death of a Salesman. So, mm -hmm. More to look forward to, but I feel like I've got my the beginning of my Arthur Miller Miller yeah. bingo card. <laughs> love that. Got that. Love that. Love that. And we also have joining us is our general assistant, our friend of all things the cup, Ms. Jillian Robinson. Hello, Jill. Hello, hello. So what is in your cup tonight and what is your ensemble? My ensemble, yes. Okay, so um, I'll start with my ensemble. Um, mm -hmm. I was obsessed with all of the the sheer um, costumes that the women wore mm -hmm. in this. So like the long sleeve. So I don't have anything sheer, um, but the long sleeve sort of regal-esque. That's what I have going on here. And my earrings tonight, um, I picked them the, the same color potentially of Henry VIII's ring that gets tossed around in the council scene. Um, and I was going between that or like some, I have some like gold and black long, long earrings as well, but I decided for the jewels. And I also have a kind of Tudor-esque looking mm -hmm. cup here. Yeah. Um, and uh, oddly enough, I was 
I'd like to kind of look up if there's any cocktails to kind of go with with our episode or with the play that we're doing. And I did find one, but then I also went on this rabbit hole of King Henry VIII's diet, which was really oh. fun to learn all about. <laughs> Basically just meat and bread and all of the ale and all of the wine. And actually mm -hmm. they would drink wine um, with sugar in it too. So I don't have sugar mm -hmm. in mine, but I have red wine like the Tudors would drink. <laughs> yes, well back then you couldn't trust the water, so. Exactly. Ale and wine were the better option for you. Yeah. Um, but there we go. Oh, oh, and then also I'm drinking from my official The Cup Cup. Mm. There we are. Uh, and I am, yeah, there we go. So it says The Cup Cup. And I'm drinking a Earl Grey tea tonight, as per the huge. But let's dive into this uh, Shakespearean historical drama. So first off, this is a really unique production because unlike other large scale Shakespeare productions that are mounted at the festival, uh, where they're actually not mounted at the festival theater stage, this was mounted at the uh, more experimental studio theater, uh, more a much more intimate uh, space. So uh, for, for, I guess, Tim and Irene, the kind of like, what was it like for you? I, I was obviously going from, going from the big festival stage to now going into the studio and doing this kind of this big epic history play in this much more uh, confined uh, space. So uh, Irene, I'll let you start this one. Oh, it was, it was fantastic. I love doing the show in the studio. I couldn't even imagine really doing it on the festival stage. I think partly because the issues that I dealt with in that show that Queen Catherine is dealing with are issues that are extremely intimate and mm. human and so um, mm -hmm. uh, c close, you know, so the, some of those conversations are mm -hmm. uh, the most intimate you could imagine. It, the, you know, they're, they're, she's fighting for her marriage, for her life, for the mm -hmm. legitimacy of her daughter. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it, um, uh, it was so uh, satisfying to be able to have those conversations uh, on, on that stage where you could just speak your heart and your mind mm -hmm. and there was no worry about the, the actor brain could sort of sit back and relax a bit because the actor brain didn't have to remind you that you're talking to audience member 1800 who's up in you know way up in the balcony up there so that that part was able to just relax so in a way watching um watching the the film version which i only got to today because i had been putting it off because i was kind of terrified to watch it uh but i thought you know it the, the entire experience of doing that show felt very filmic in that mm -hmm. it felt like a, a close-up all the time mm -hmm. in that in that space so um uh so i love that you could be super intimate and quiet especially in scenes like uh the the death scene you yeah. know to be able to be so close with that and and so uh just to communicate with my fellow scene partners in in um in such a closeness it was a real gift and also you know some of the the intrigue that happens and the gossip and the, mm. the plotting it all felt very like you could be very conspiratorial in that space and uh not necessarily i mean you could achieve all those things in the in the festival but maybe not to the same, not in the same yeah. way that you could. So I adored doing this play in the studio. Wouldn't have it any other way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tim, um, like, what are your thoughts on, on, on the space? Well, it's fascinating because 
I guess they've done a couple recently, but it's very infrequent that they will do a Shakespeare then. Yeah. Uh, it's a small, it's a small physical space. So mm -hmm. with, you know, the kind of sizes of casts that we usually have in Shakespeare's, mm -hmm. it gets, it's get, gets a bit visually crowded, but much like mm -hmm. what Irene said, uh, it was, it afforded us an incredible opportunity to pursue a kind of, and I want to be careful about the words that I use here, but, uh, you didn't have to be afraid of a kind of a conversational approach mm. uh, to the text, which normally in a larger space, you can't really do. Uh, so it's as simple as uh, talking and listening. And, so it, 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 and I think often with this play specifically, productions lean into the pageantry of it and the and the size of it and there are a couple of big huge set pieces and uh and productions maybe tend to rely on those elements we were not afforded that opportunity and uh, as a result i think the focus of the piece becomes a little bit more on the the relationships and on the substance of what people are yeah. saying to one another which is uh which is a delight for an actor. Mm -hmm. It's, it's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. It was also interesting. I found that I've never had so many comments in my entire career about my costumes. And I think because so, oh. so um, our wonderful designer, she, she, she designed so with Tudor lines, but some modern twists in there, but my, my costumes are still very lush. In lots mm -hmm. of velvet and gold and she was really playing mm -hmm. up the spanish uh, uh heritage uh and because we were in the studio space people were so much closer to those costumes yeah. you know and so i had so many people afterwards say and the costumes were amazing mm -hmm. and i think for the audience too not only the you know the intimacy of the piece and people being able to really just talk to one another and play those scenes but being that close also to those beautiful costumes was a real delight for, for audiences yeah. as well. And if memory yeah. serves you, you were delighted that you had pockets in yes. your dresses. That's a Martha Henry. Which I didn't, I didn't know was a thing, but apparently this is like a huge thing, like a very helpful thing. Oh yeah, all the, all the ladies had pockets. Martha insisted that be a thing and it was fantastic. It was really, really great. It's very powerful. It's yeah, very- um, it's um I, I i don't know i mean maybe maybe this is true maybe it's not i don't know but as you see men do that a lot right men stand around with their hands in their pockets a lot mm -hmm. and women don't always get to do that and so there was something about having pockets as the queen to just stand there with my hands in my pocket i go i've got i've got power yeah. i'm standing here with my hands in my pocket I don't know, it's, it's a psychological thing. I think, you know, Martha also needed us to be able to carry things and whatnot, so it's practical. But also just in terms of stature and posture, it just, it's, it gives you a little something, a little edge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, even being in the theater, I didn't notice, I, it was such a subtle thing about the pockets, but actually now you pointed out, I'm like, oh, absolutely. Like, yes, like those stances, like, oh, of course you would want to have pockets on stage like they're just so multi-purpose like i said i got a prop or or just like give yourself a bit more of a power stance oh that's great jill what were yeah, your thoughts since, since you didn't see this live right you only got to see this via film so like what was that like right. for you 
Well, both Irene and Tim hit mm -hmm. hit some of my points on the nose. Um, the first mm -hmm. thing I had was, yeah, there was the ability to highlight the more intimate vibe mm -hmm. that this history play in particular. I mean, we'll get more into that going forward, in my opinion, mm -hmm. but um allows like the the character interaction the scenes mm -hmm. are more like just two-handers right and mm -hmm. and you're in so kind of making it micro mm -hmm. um magnified uh, you're allowed to kind of be in it in on it be in on the gossip be in on the scene mm -hmm. um and then kind of going back to what tim was saying is uh, it allowed the acting to be the forefront i sometimes mm -hmm. find if there's too much going on scenic wise or even costume wise, which I don't think this piece did either, but um, sometimes the acting can can kind of just blend in with all of those. Whereas mm -hmm. with this piece where the text already sort of establishes these intimate conversations and it really is about the individual, um, having sort of a scaled down set just really allowed the acting to be more augmented. Um, and another thing I had, uh, it just allowed the chaos and the massive shifts that happen in the piece to, again, be amplified because it's in touch, such a tiny space. You're not like taken out of the fact that these folks are coming, are leaving the scene or we're shifting to this space a lot of the times, right? The actors have to like be on the stage at the same time and mm -hmm. create that scenic shift. So the audience is constantly seeing sort of the the power baton being passed, right? Mm -hmm. Versus like a scrim going mm -hmm. up or things rolling in and out. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so I, I love, that's like, that's my jam too with theaters. Mm -hmm. Like anything that kind of puts you in it and mm -hmm. a smaller space mm -hmm. and you can really um, allow mm -hmm. the fiery moments to be ablaze, um, mm -hmm. right? You can feel the heat that I'm <laughs> all about that. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I agree with all this. I mean, I, I mean, all my points have been covered. I, I mean, my biggest one was the, the 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 space gave you the sense of the courtly drama of the piece versus the epic history that sometimes you get with the bigger spaces. That this one, you really just felt like the fly on the wall, uh, watching these backroom conversations about the the fate of England basically being played out, and you kind of get these kind of little uh, tidbits of of uh, of conversations that you're kind of buzzing around. So it was great. I loved it. Uh, now we did mention uh, uh, with you, Irene, um, uh, at the start that this was a production directed by the Canadian theater icon Martha Henry. Uh, so, I mean, for Tim and Irene, obviously, like this is a, a this is a very masculine play. I mean, it's a it's a lot of power playing between Cardinal Wolsey and Henry. Uh, but then you bring in someone like Martha Henry, who is a, a fantastic director. Uh, so, uh, what type of insights did she uh, bring? to uh, this piece, uh, particularly as like a female director, because obviously that, that, that gives you a very unique uh, perspective that say maybe a, a male director wouldn't be able to get access to. So uh, Irene, I'll let you start this one. Oh boy. Um, I, I mean, for me, it was, it was everything that it was Martha and that it was a woman, frankly. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. I you know Shakespeare wrote it. Mm -hmm. But Martha, actually, I just reread her program notes today where she talks about starting to do the research on the play because mm -hmm. she didn't know much about it. And, um, and she gave me the book that she, she mentions in her, in her intro, this mm -hmm. Alison Weir book. And uh, what struck her the most was that these two people, Catherine and Henry, had been together for 24 years. Mm -hmm. 
and went through everything together, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, struggled for a really long time to produce a male heir. Yeah. And, and as soon as Catherine hit menopause, mm -hmm. and there was no possibility of her producing that heir anymore, mm -hmm. that's when all the trouble started. Right. Yep. That's when Anne Boleyn started to look like a really good choice. And uh, <laughs> and the sort of the, the king's great matter, this mm -hmm. whole divorcing of Catherine, you know, mm -hmm. this, this is when it started. So I think for Martha uh, to to read that story and to think, oh, my gosh, it's when Catherine hit menopause and couldn't have any more children that this all started. I, I, I'm not sure. Maybe I, I don't want to I don't want to make assumptions, but I'm not mm -hmm. sure that. Every director would read the circumstances and mm -hmm. and and see that kind of timeline. Mm -hmm. So that was that was the first thing. And also, she really wanted to, uh, for for me, the work that I was doing was to really look at uh, what it meant to be a woman in this position of mm -hmm. kind of power. Because Catherine was very much a woman who, I mean, she came from a, a long line of. Uh, ruling queens, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so she was, um, she was a powerful woman who was mm -hmm. regent often when Henry was away and she, you know, she ruled the nobleman, mm -hmm. she ruled the country. Um, so uh, all of Martha's uh, words to me were about, you know, this woman in this incredible position of power and yet everything was being taken from her. Mm -hmm. And um, the most important thing for Catherine, which Martha and I talked about, mm -hmm. I mean, the reason why she held out and would not grant that divorce, you know, and which led to all sorts of awful things happening, but she would mm -hmm. not do it because it would make Mary, her and Henry's daughter, mm -hmm. a bastard. It would delegitimize her. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, so there were, there were so many things for, that Martha and I discussed that were, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that came from, I think, a very um, uh, female Mm -hmm. perspective on mm -hmm. on what we what we were going for anyway in, in mm -hmm. this case yeah tim so for you being in the room like i i obviously this play is 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 half relationship drama half political intrigue which is a lot of what your character kind of goes through so like when you were working with martha like what i like i like, what type of things did you two kind of talk about well, before we move on to your mm -hmm. to your uh, previous point about uh, what Martha can bring or mm -hmm. what she might have brought specifically as mm -hmm. a female director of this thing, I contend that the proof uh, was in the pudding of mm -hmm. our performance. And though mm -hmm. uh, uh, though they're both you know dear friends and spectacularly talented actors, mm -hmm. Johnny Goad as mm -hmm. Henry VIII and Rod Beatty as, as Woolsey. Uh, mm -hmm. They were fantastic, but there is like no doubt to me that the center, the beating heart of this production, was Irene and Agreed. and Catherine and Catherine's mm -hmm. performance and Irene's performance yes. as Catherine. Agreed. I really like. I think, and I'm mm -hmm. uh, as as her husband. I am a, a keen student of her work, and mm -hmm. uh, I I'd say it's probably. Um, it's as good as anything that I've seen her do. And I think that that's due in no small part to Martha being able to facilitate that and to tell that part of the story really well and to work with the actress playing Catherine really, really well. I don't, I don't think Martha ever played the part herself, did she? 
No, no. no. It was interesting because when we worked together on Three Sisters, she had played Olga, that, and that's right. who I was playing in our production. So it was, it was, um, uh, and it, it was equally as fascinating and wonderful working with her on that. And she, um, with Three Sisters, she really kind of step back and let me find my own way through it because she didn't, I, I think she really didn't want to impose her own, uh, you know, what she had done. She, mm -hmm. uh, she's just too far, too yeah. classy and smart to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And kind of, kind of going back to the question to uh, Mac of, uh, so with that sort of power um, and agency, I saw a lot of that in, in a lot of the, in all of the women of this piece too. Like it is mm -hmm. a very masculine driven uh, text, but uh, through Henry's direction, I, I would presume, and you all working on the piece, um, every woman on the stage like had had a background, had an agency, had a history, mm -hmm. and then it was in those like images that uh, we just talked about the the uh, tears turning to fire and um, the the death the death scene, um, even going back to tossing the torch of power when Anne Boleyn, after her coronation, she's on the top tier, and then the segue to the scene where you see Catherine, who is now, you know, is going through uh, her, like, degradation. So, like, coronation to degradation. Like, there mm. was just so many. And then at the end, too, of having the background, the backdrop be of Elizabeth, and mm -hmm. then kind of like going in and out of mm -hmm. the Elizabeth of today and then going back. I just mm -hmm. felt there was there was a lot of um, grounding female points that mm -hmm. like were were kind of drummed out through the direction. Mm -hmm. um, and then and then with that too, kind of going back to the the Anne, Anne Boleyn to Catherine passing of the torch, it also uh, highlighted and this is a very real thing, like the the power struggle that exists, unfortunately, between women. Like, you know, there's, there's always, there's, there's always, uh, the, the, the need to feel like you need to establish yourself or mm -hmm. grasp at power or privilege that is not given to you. And a lot of the times, like, unfortunately your fellow sisters fall privy to that. Right. And like mm -hmm. that, I saw that a ton in the, um, the loot scene where you and your ladies are the music scene and, uh. I thought it was so stunning of, of um, Anne singing with her eyes closed and Catherine's like right mm -hmm. there. And again, there was that like invasive or the bubble was popped, right? And there was like, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, no one's communicating in this loft. Meanwhile, they all mm -hmm. should be kind of working together. And mm -hmm. so that contrasted to like our giant men council scenes. It was just really, mm -hmm. really brilliantly flushed out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I just have to third it all with, with you, Irene. I, I mean, you were the heart of the piece. And, I, and, I, and it's funny, you go in expecting it to be kind of the Henry VIII story, but then you come out going, oh, no, this was Queen Catherine's story the entire time. <laughs> like, even after you die, your influence on the whole situation that's unfolding afterwards, it's, it's there. I mean, I, I mean, reading up on Queen Catherine historically, she was almost a modern, almost like Hillary Clinton type figure who was so ahead of her time in the fact that she was so diplomatic, so smart, held the country together. Because Henry VIII came to power very young after his brother Arthur died. Mm -hmm. uh, like Catherine was Arthur's wife first. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like in the fact that you, uh, she had five children, only one of them Mary surviving. 
uh, three, uh, two, uh, three of them were sons that were lost in infancy. So like just the, the history of who this woman was and you just brought all that to the stage. So bravo. Like, Tim, and what you brought, what you brought to it, as you say, it's kind of like the pieces, uh, you know, you've got the personal legacy mm -hmm. of the piece and you've got the political mm -hmm. intrigue yes. that's happening. And what we get from Buckingham, that, that, mm -hmm. that figure of authority and nobility, mm -hmm. that when he is taken down by mm -hmm. Wolsey's machinations, then we know mm -hmm. we're in trouble, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. so what we get from you, Tim, I thought anyway, was this figure of absolute integrity and nobility. Mm -hmm. And we all should be going, oh my God, it's mm -hmm. the, he's just taken down Buckingham. This is a mm -hmm. scary world we're in. You know, it's, it sets the political stakes really high for mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. And I think you need an actor of your stature and those locks to give <laughs> us that sense of political stakes in the, in the piece. Well, also it's just, and I, I had not, uh, I'd read Henry VIII a long time ago, but it's been a while since I've like read the text itself, but watching your Buckingham, Tim, um, there definitely was like a calmer, almost more feminist energy to him than any other man on the stage. So I think that even even more so there was a loss of like, wait, wait, we're losing Buckingham. Like, no, 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 no. Like I want like there was just there. It just added added that sort of. So when, when you're shackled and you're taken away, it's like exactly like Irene is saying, you're kind of seize up and you're like, OK, this is not going to end well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. Well, uh, speaking of Wolsey, mm -hmm. uh, he has a very interesting moment that ends the act or ends the first part before we get into intermission. And it's the moment where he is being deposed and he de uh, disrobes his cardinal garments, folds them on stage, and then he walks off. Uh, and then as his last lines kind of in an echo chamber as, as he's leaving, as the spotlight kind of falls on that moment, which to me, it was one of the most beautiful like beautifully staged endings to this character. So Tim, I mean, for you, uh, like what was that moment like for you, you when that was being blocked and when you kind of saw it, like, I, 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 did, that like did that kind of represent anything to you as like also Buckingham concerned he is the kind of guy that Wolsey takes out at the beginning of the play. So like kind of like, what was that moment like for you uh, watching it and then, and then being in the part of the process there? Well, to be perfectly candid, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, because my character had died like about an hour before yeah. in stage time, mm -hmm. I wasn't super familiar with the moment and I was mm -hmm. never called for those rehearsals. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really, I have, you know, my own personal yeah. response on seeing the thing. Yeah. But because you had sent us these questions mm -hmm. in advance, I wrote my friend Rod Beatty mm -hmm. and I said, Hey Rod, I'm doing a podcast, and they've asked about this moment. And do you have any insight? And being a, a kind and intelligent gentleman, uh, Rod wrote me back, and he—I yeah. will read his response. Love this. Yeah, he said, "Hi Tim, I think the key to this lies in had I but served my God with half the zeal I served my King, he would not, in mine age, have left me naked to mine enemies." Mm -hmm. Wolsey realizes that what has happened proves he has betrayed the holy office for which he has had the ultimate respect and affection. He has put his faith in kings. He is unworthy of the red robes. And so with great sorrow, but with clarity, 
he divests himself of them and prepares to die. Mm -hmm. And then he wants to know how we can watch the podcast, but uh, <laughs> I'll send him to the lake later. Yeah. But I thought that that sort of made kind of uh, mm -hmm. uh, a, a, a more uh, cogent sense mm -hmm. than I would have been able to make up the moment. That's yeah. from the horse's mouth. That's that's Rod Beatty right there. <laughs> Love it. Oh Thank my you, goodness. How do you top that? Thank you, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Beatty, for writing that wonderful thing uh, for Tim to read for us, because that just gave a whole new bit of insight mm -hmm. into this very layered uh, moment. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. Now I'm like kind of on my back foot a bit here, <laughs> trying to process what he said. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Tim, then for you watching it in the movie version, like what did that moment kind of mean to you then? Because obviously this was the first time you kind of got to see it uh, on the screen since as you said you were backstage being dead. <laughs> right. Yeah. By that time, yes. By that time I had come home to our kids. I had ah. been home for 20 minutes, but um, the uh, uh, when I saw it uh, as we were watching the movie, it, it feel, it made, a great deal of emotional sense to me that this was a man facing the end and mm -hmm. and removing the uh, the accoutrement of his mm -hmm. of his uh, office everything that he had that we see in the play all of his actions mm -hmm. were about his sort of position and prestige mm -hmm. and he gives those up so though there's no text to support any specific interpretation uh, really felt like in that moment he was mm -hmm. that we were seeing uh, a man kind of uh, absolve himself before death before a, yeah. before an end before an ending mm -hmm. that's what i that's what i'd say yeah, I, yeah. it was uh, i found it interesting watching it as well because mm -hmm. i was always backstage also for that mm -hmm. moment right i was actually um getting ready for the death scene right uh, my death scene while ron was doing this and um so I, I had never seen it. And when I watched it today, I found it so moving because he has, mm -hmm. you know, it's such a cathartic moment mm -hmm. for the character to realize that mm -hmm. he's made these horrible decisions and, and, and now it's over and he's left alone and all these mm -hmm. people are so rude and horrible yeah. to him, right? He's been stripped of dignity, of power, everything. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> it was very interesting to me. And this is where I think Martha is such a phenomenal director. So I saw that for the first time today, and I felt this tremendous empathy for Woolsey that I have never felt. Yeah. And in my death scene, I berate him, knowing that he has died. I berate him. I, I say terrible things about him. Mm -hmm. And then um, my uh, my man. Mm -hmm. um, I forget the character's name at the moment, just terrible for me, but Shelley Anthony, who plays him beautifully, mm -hmm. uh, says, may I speak uh, about his positive side now? And I say, yes, sure. And anyway, he speaks to him. And then Catherine has this uh, moment of forgiveness and wishing him uh, peace. And when I watched it today, I went, of course, that moment has to be there because he deserves, he deserves that forgiveness and that moment of mm -hmm. uh of her recognizing that he had come to terms with his, with himself and with his flaws. And to see both those moments together today, uh, it was really, I found it incredibly uh, moving. And I didn't, I wasn't aware of the first half of the moment, you know, how they fit together overall in the production until I saw it today. And, and I thought, oh, that was very wise, very smart of Martha to direct him 
in in that way in that scene yeah oh love all this insight jill what are your thoughts on this moment because you're all about the symbolisms and the i am yeah and the layers yeah <laughs> yeah um no pun intended because there are a lot <laughs> of layers that that uh were stripped away in the scene um yes, they were. yeah this this moment was beautiful um in this mm -hmm. production because it was kind of like in a vacuum like everything just went like zoom and like it really was like when he was sitting um, with the throne behind him delivering most of his monologue like that imagery was so like we were that was like the thesis of of the piece for me it was like mm -hmm. we are now seeing politics and religion go head to head and the ramifications that come from that or come with that mm -hmm. and um, I just the the staging of each article coming off um, matched with a line of text and then a beat placed in between each line like really emphasize even more to ruminate or meditate and again going back to being in the small space right it kind of forces the audience to really listen mm -hmm. to what is being said here and mm -hmm. and see the shedding um and and again you're you're this whole piece kind of there's power shifts there's betrayal happening mm -hmm. on so many different layer levels mm -hmm. and um this was just like a physicalizing of of it and mm -hmm. um this history piece obviously not being battle fueled as a lot of like the Henriad is per se. Um, this is like, to me, this was the element of loss we get from this piece. Mm -hmm. And again, the, my, my dramaturgy nerd in me is coming out of the fact that it's the Cardinal's robes we see mm -hmm. being shed onto the floor. It was mm -hmm. like a moment of bloodshed, right? It, it mm -hmm. was that same kind of packed with that same kind of punch. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that I, I, it was just stunning. And uh, yeah, the shift, like I said, the shift between the political and the, yeah. the religious power. Um, yeah. I can't remember the character. Was it Cromwell? That's, that's the character that's with him in the scene. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes, and, at, and that was, and having, <clears throat> having him be there um, also again, added another level because it wasn't mm -hmm. like, this is just, the Cardinals saying this out loud, like someone is hearing this, right? Like someone in the mm -hmm. world of the play is also hearing this, mm -hmm. like not just mm -hmm. the audience. Um, so there's almost like a go between. And yeah. that that again was like, oh my goodness, there's mm -hmm. always that person who's kind of straddling yeah. the line, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's yeah. end, end yeah. of TED talk for that chunk for me. <laughs> yeah, so when he, so he played this role with such sympathy in this moment, like watching him getting pushed around on stage by the other men and then having him at the end, you, I, I, you felt kind of like the, the kind uncle that like uh, the kind uncle figure that Henry had relied on all this time and then see him kind of be stripped away. Like your heart, my heart kind of broke for, for like, as much as I was like, he, like, he's not a nice person. Like he helped get rid of Buckingham. But at the same time, there was just sudden, in fact, we've seen him in this scene behind me here. You can see him up in the throne in that kind of, uh, velvety pajama outfit. So like, so he wasn't the most kindest person, but at the same time, there was sympathy in, in this moment. And this really was a turning point of the play where it's like, what, like, I remember sitting in the theater going, I don't remember them saying if there's an intermission or not. And then like, obviously the intermission came after this moment. I was like, well, of course you put the intermission here because this is the big turning point of the entire play where England is making the turning point now where Wolsey's uh, d destruction now is basically opening the floodgate now to the Catholic versus Protestant conflict that's going to now 
plague England all, all, all the way up until Queen Elizabeth, when she kind of neutrals it all out. But for the next while, it's going to be a tug of war, basically. It's going to kill a lot of people. So like the fact that, once again, Judge said, the bloodshed is really being uh, prophesized here as he's speaking and going, what's about to happen when I'm gone is basically the floodgates are opening. And, it's, and I, I, once again, bring it back to the modern day, it's kind of what we're seeing now happening in politics, both here in Canada, as well as uh, south of the border, where you have kind of the people in the middle going away. And now you have the far, the far left and far right now really kind of taking over and tug of warring with each other. And Wolsey kind of is like that last bit of the old guard of, uh, of the men who were very kind of centrist, who, who, who enjoyed trying to work together. So yeah, it was a very interesting moment rewatching that going, oh, there's so much more modern politics that are being played out here. It's not just the old Catholic versus Protestant that we read in the history books. There is a modern undertow that's being reflected in this piece. So I just thought this moment was absolutely fantastic. And thank you again, Mr. Beatty, for writing that beautiful email, giving us your yeah. insight into this moment. And I think often in this production, you get, uh, you get, uh, it's, it's kind of a, it can be a yeah. uh, played as kind of a deliciously juicy villainous role. And yeah. I think it was really important to Rod and to Martha that it was a bit more complicated than that. Yes. And so yeah. and I think, I think they succeeded in achieving that. On our, on our closing night of this mm -hmm. show, um, Rod and I were having a chat and he said, uh, before they, before we started rehearsals, mm -hmm. Martha wrote him and said, I want to give you one note and I never want you to tell Irene what it is. And that is that Wolsey loves Catherine of Aragon. Mm. And I, I mean, I started crying when he told me that because for the whole season, I was so mad at him on stage, right? I'm just firing away at him all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's looking at me with such uh, kindness and like, mm -hmm. I'm not your enemy. You know, he was playing this note of, mm -hmm. I'm not your enemy. And mm -hmm. uh, which, which uh, of course, enraged her even more that he wouldn't actually engage because she, mm -hmm. you know, she thought he was being super duplicitous. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it was such an interesting mm -hmm. uh, note to his performance mm -hmm. that I was totally intrigued by all summer long. And then when he told me what, what he was actually, what that note was, it just, it was kind of heartbreaking, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was very, I, I love that. And I love that Martha gave him that note. And I love mm -hmm. that he kept it as a secret for himself and played it uh, for the whole season. He's a, oh, he's a tremendously intelligent, wonderful, fantastic mm -hmm. guy. We adore him. And he's yeah. an extraordinary oh. chef as well. Just oh, little little backstory. That. Yeah. Little love trivia, that. little Rod Beatty trivia. Yeah, love we'll have to that. get him on a, on a show, Mac. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you should. You yeah. should. That, that is on the list. Perfect. Okay. Uh, so uh, this play uh, is uh, not overly well regarded in the Shakespeare canon. Like Stratford's only done it three times in its 50 plus years that it's been performing uh, on the Avon. So why do we think it gets such kind of a bad rap and kind of gets shunted aside uh, in the canon? And do we think this piece actually deserves this kind of reputation, or is it really kind of a diamond in the rough? Uh, Jill, I'll let you start this one. Yeah, this was like one of the hardest questions for me, Mac, because like, 
I, but then I, then I think I had to kind of think about it through the lens of this production more mm-hmm. so than the text. Like, again, I haven't visited the text in a long time, but I do remember it not being like as standoutish as other, mm-hmm. other of the Bard's works. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think what it is, is that if you do something with this text, like similar to what Martha did, like it, it really b- highlights it and makes it a diamond in the rough, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, I think on paper, uh, mm-hmm. the characters don't mm-hmm. seem as flushed out as some of mm-hmm. the other works of Shakespeare's, mm-hmm. but um, but on stage, obviously through this production, we get the instance that that's not the case mm-hmm. at all. Like these people mm-hmm. are packed with history and relationship, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, I. There's something about this this history piece that I honestly it might be one of my favorites because Mm -hmm. of what we've just seen because again Mm -hmm. it's the intimacy it's the strip Mm -hmm. like yes there are macro like political religious things happening but then like micro human relationships and loss and um and tears and uh, emotion and camaraderie even in in Mm -hmm. the the smallest relationships on stage Mm -hmm. and. Um, you can, because of that, uh, you can kind of leave the historical stuff aside and just watch Mm -hmm. a human, human interaction or human turmoil. Mm -hmm. Um, and I kind of, I like that a lot because I'm, I'm a huge Mm -hmm. fan of, of political dramas and, Mm -hmm. and Shakespeare's history plays. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the time the rom the romantic in me is like, okay, great i get like mm-hmm. another battlefield scene awesome but like where's this <laughs> there's the substance right and i think mm-hmm. this piece you have the ability to kind of touch on both of those elements um and they can work together you know um but again through just reading it i don't necessarily think you would get the same impression as opposed to seeing it so mm-hmm. i guess that would be my my argument a bit dry on the page but mm-hmm. definitely one that can be um, stretched to whatever length on the stage. And I even think like this one has the ability absolutely to be transported. I mean, it is a history, but like I could see it transported in different eras or like playing Mm -hmm. around a bit with, with maybe Mm -hmm. characterizations of certain, certain moments, um, Mm -hmm. which is kind of risky to say with a history piece. Right. (laughs) But but again, I think it's because mm-hmm. you have these two-hander moments, you have these conversations, you have, mm-hmm. you have like true mm-hmm. human rawness amidst mm-hmm. like power-hungry, mm-hmm. uh, big political statements. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Irene, for you, because you've done uh, like some of the other bigger history tragedies, as, like uh, like as of you to like Julius Caesar. So like for you, like you've done other, some of the other big Shakespeare uh, shows. So like, so like, why do you think that this is one that kind of doesn't get its due? I think, uh, I think it has to do somewhat with the structure of the piece, perhaps. Mm-hmm. It's very episodic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you don't get to follow what you feel are your main characters all the way mm-hmm. through from the beginning to the end of the play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, and that's, that can be difficult, right? When you're introducing new, uh, large characters in your fourth act and people have to go, whoa, 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 whoa who's this? Who, mm-hmm. who are they and how are they significant to all the other people I've been watching? So I think structurally it can be a bit, it can be a bit goofy. Tricky. It's Go- a bit goofy. goofy. 
Yeah. Um, I think I think what Martha did though is she cut it in such a way that there felt like more of a, a through line in this one. Yeah. I think um, like often, for instance, the intermission actually comes after Catherine's uh, death, I believe. I think I'd have oh, to wow. double check that. But there was some, there was lots of discussion about where to put the actual intermission. Uh, I don't that think. Would be, that would be really late, right? Yeah. I mean, or maybe it's, like... maybe it's, or, oh no, sorry. It's after the trial scene. That Often was, it's yeah, after the trial that. scene, yeah. right? Um, but so there was some debate about where to put the, the intermission and it all had to do with sort of the carry through, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it is, it is structurally, it's a tough one. And mm -hmm. getting into the final act, mm -hmm. you know, where it does really become about the, the struggle between uh, the, the Reformation and the, and the Catholicism, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's hard, it, it's a hard to wrap your head around it when you've seen such human cost Mm -hmm. already you know so Wolsey is gone mm -hmm. Catherine is gone we don't see Anne Boleyn again mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah it's tricky but having said that I do think what Martha did with the way she cut it is that it made it more uh, you see more of those personal moments which lead to the big political historical moments that we now know mm -hmm. happen but they started with these very small intimate moments and yeah. and um, yeah, I had never seen a production of this play. So I was very, I had no preconceived notions at all. And people kept saying to me, oh, it's a terrible play. And I was going, really? I kind of <laughs> like it. Uh, so mm -hmm. I, I was just trying to cut out all those, mm -hmm. you know, the people saying it's, it's, not a, it's not a great one, but good luck. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, as it turned out, funnily, and I, I love this, it became like the runaway hit of that season. We were sold out beyond, mm -hmm. like people couldn't get tickets. Mm -hmm. We were extended and extended. Mm -hmm. And in fact, this production was not meant to be filmed. Mm -hmm. It was not one of the ones chosen for filming early on in the season. But because it sort of took off and it was this, you know, this diamond in the rough for theater goers that, that season, mm -hmm. Um, it was actually Martha and I went to, we, we got together and said, what a shame it's not being filmed. It's, a, it's such an interesting show and people mm -hmm. are really responding to it. And so we sort of schemed a little bit and we went to um, Anthony and, uh, and Anita and said, wouldn't it be great if we filmed this one too? And, uh, and they had actually been starting to think along the same lines as well, that mm -hmm. perhaps it should be filmed. And they said, you know what, we're, you're right, we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. So, um, so for us, certainly it was the diamond in the rough and, uh, mm -hmm. hugely successful run of the show. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I mean, I remember trying to get tickets and it was a tough feat to get in to see the show. And I, I mean, I slucked out the one night I had gone to see, um, crucible in the after in the afternoon. And then I had gone to the box office saying, do you have any tickets left for Henry? Henry, Henry and they're like, yes, back corner top row and I was like perfect I'll take it so that's a big day wow yeah. Crucible and Henry VIII. It, was, it was a big Ooh. day for me too yeah <laughs> yes, absolutely exactly. absolutely yeah it, it was a massive day and I mean oh but both productions were just fantastic so loved both of them so Tim for you uh, like, what are your thoughts about about this play? Because you called it goofy, which I like. That that's a good. <laughs> well, no, I think the I think the structure is a bit goofy. I think that yeah. you're required as an audience member to mm -hmm. sort of uh, care about three uh, discrete plots, kind of mm -hmm. like there's the first 
third of it, or not even a third, but the first mm -hmm. little while is about the rise and fall of Buckingham. The first, mm -hmm. the second is the rise and fall of Catherine and Wolsey. Yeah. And then we get into uh, the Canterbury's. Yeah, the Reformation. The, the final, yeah, the Reformation stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think as an audience member, as Irene said, you're required, you're sort of asked to uh, follow and care about things mm -hmm. that sort of come and go. It doesn't follow a kind yeah. of a larger trajectory. I don't know that it's, uh, I think it gets done just about the right amount of times it gets done, this play. Yeah. I think it, I think that, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not a Lear. It's not a, it's not a Hamlet. I, I think there's lots, mm -hmm. uh, I think there's lots of fantastic, I think, I think mm -hmm. Catherine, there's lots of great relationships in it. There's lots of great mm -hmm. characters and there's, uh, yeah. there's like, you know, four or five really awesome scenes mm -hmm. uh, though. Uh, but yeah, and I mean, I like it more now having been in it and spent mm -hmm. some time with it than I did prior to. It hadn't really even really been on my radar, mm -hmm. partly because the authorship is so sort of uh, still a mm -hmm. bit, of con there's a bit of contention around that. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, mm -hmm. I like it. I think it, I think it is, I think it sort of maybe justly deserves its place in the relative mm -hmm. pantheon of, of Shakespeare yeah. plays, but, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm super happy to have been in it. You again, mm -hmm. like my Arthur Miller bingo card, I get to check <laughs> off Henry the eighth. Not many actors get to be in Henry the eighth. No. So. no, it's very great. Yeah. Very great. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, my first big note for this was why does it get the bad rap? Well, I went, well, it's because it's often credited with a co-authorship and people often go, well, it's not pure Shakespeare. So ergo, it gets automatically deducted points. And right. then, and, and then, and then Tim, you've put it so well that like, yes, there are really three different strands going here and it, and you are doing a bit of ping ponging as an audience member. I mean, for me growing up with the, knowing the history of, of this moment in time, helped me ping pong a lot better where I don't know if people who are already not overly familiar with the language of Shakespeare and then they got to get a really big history lesson in there too. It can become a bit of a tougher pill to swallow. Um, so yeah, this, this play is a lot more kind of things you got to tackle. And then as well as you got to know your history a bit, like you do have to know more than just Henry the six wives. You have to know a bit more about the players uh, on the chessboard as it were like the Wolseys, like the Thomas Moores, the Thomas Cromwells, the-, the All the Thomases. Uh, to, to be honest, I had to stop for a minute when I was rewatching, I was like, which Thomas are we on right now? Who is in with yeah. Wolsey at the end? Cause I was like, Sir I know Thomas, there's one- Sir Thomas there. Lovell. Sir, yes. Yeah, there's yeah. lots of them. Yeah. So many Thomases. So, so many Thomases. So yeah, I do think it's a diamond in the rough, but it depends on how it's blocked and how it's edited and i think martha showed just what you could do with a show like this which is really smaller space giving you a really good intimacy human perspective that is what this play really um is special for versus like say a henry the eighth or 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 any of the other kind of henry ad that have a bit more the pomp and the flash of action this is less action more human intrigue and i think that's what makes it special maybe sometimes why it does get overlooked um, I mean, this play totally changed my perspective on Queen Catherine as, as, as like a historical figure, because oftentimes Anne Boleyn gets that uh, higher uh, recognition 
it's like, oh, wait, hold on. Catherine's got some really good points here. Uh, let's like a three think her in history. So perfect. Actually, that segues in the next question. So, cons so considering a lot of history play, early modern history plays are more or less propaganda pieces for, the, for their time. Uh, how do we feel this play portrays the real life historical characters? And do you feel some are painted in a more favorable light than others? And Irene, I'll let you start this one because as we've kind of noted, Queen Catherine really is the heart of this piece. So for you, what did you think about this piece as a historic? Yeah. Oh, yes, Tim. Sorry, just before we get to this, mm -hmm. uh, I am going to have to leave you with the star of the show, Irene yes. Poole. Cool, Thank yeah. you so much for this Thank conversation. You. It's been spectacular. Irene yes. is twice as smart as I and much prettier. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she'll be fascinating for the rest of your interview. Yes. Okay, well, thank, thank you okay. so much, guys. Thank you, Tim. Guys. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Talk okay. soon. Okay. I'll be up okay. soon. Bye. Yeah, so getting back to that question. Mm -hmm. Well, it, I, I mean, he ends it before Henry really loses control, right? Yes. So the play ends before Anne Boleyn is executed. Mm -hmm. uh, it ends before any of the other wives. It yep. um, it ends before kind of the 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 physical transformation that happens to to Henry. Yes, I mean interesting. If you talk to Martha about this, Martha mm -hmm. would say it all went downhill when he got rid of Catherine. Yep. Like after that point, up until that point, he was a successful. Mm -hmm. uh you know uh monarch and mm -hmm. ruling happily over his people with lots of yeah. you know wins under his belt after that point yeah. it, it just kind of really we get the history that we now are much more familiar with right yes yeah. mm -hmm. um so that that's interesting to me where he chose to end it it's also very interesting to me um how little time shakespeare gave to anne boleyn in this play it's curious it's a curious yeah. thing to me uh, especially curious because I, I mean this is still debated whether or not elizabeth would have seen this play right some mm -hmm. so, some scholars say there was an earlier production not yeah. this title that she would have seen in the early 1600s and other scholars who say that this play wasn't presented until i think it it was like 16, 10 years 1613 yeah. when the globe yeah. burnt down for the first time mm -hmm. right yes so there's real debate about whether or not she would have seen it and whether or not she saw it i feel um really adds to what he was trying to do like if she was mm -hmm. seeing it then it's so interesting that he wrote that you know the big uh speech about gloriana her days of mm -hmm. glory that were coming right the the yeah. glorious days that were coming for england mm -hmm. so it's it's that's that's a curiosity to me mm -hmm. um it's also curious to me Again, whether Elizabeth saw it or not, James would have been seeing it, you know. So also interesting to me that he gave so much space and time and language to Catherine of Aragon. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I'm a bit confounded by it all, to be honest, like in terms me of the too. propaganda, what he was doing mm -hmm. in terms of propaganda. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and there because there is this co-authorship thing who knows like who knows what fletcher was trying to sort of mm -hmm. what agenda he was trying to push i, I don't mm -hmm. know but mm -hmm. anyway historically it is um it's 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 intriguing to me what mm -hmm. what was being said but but you know very clearly stopping the play at a at a certain point in history when you go mm -hmm. we all know the rest yeah. right we all know mm -hmm. the things that follow these moments in time yeah 
Jill, for you, what did you think? Yeah, so this kind of maybe will bleed into a little bit of the next question, but the mm -hmm. only kind of um, like focused attention I have with Henry VIII is through sort of like the pop culture um, examples we have of them. So like, for instance, like my Anne Boleyn, ever since mm -hmm. I was a teenager, was Natalie Portman in the other Boleyn girl, right? Mm. So like, <laughs> like, so me watching um, Alexandra, that's the actor's name, right? Who played our Anne yeah. Boleyn. Um, watching her her take on Anne was very different for me because mm -hmm. she, she played the more um, sort of innocence kind mm -hmm. of like tossed in the mix of things and okay, mm -hmm. this is my life now. Whereas mm -hmm. Natalie's depiction was a bit more like Vixen-esque, right? And like mm -hmm. seemed like she had an agenda. Um, so I was kind of mm -hmm. with, with seeing this version of Henry VIII, I was reintroduced to like another lens of the history, I guess, mm -hmm. through not just through me watching the other Boleyn mm -hmm. girl or six, the musical or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think, yeah, like you hit it on the nose, Irene, like he halts it right before um, the chunk of history that folks know a lot about, but yep. then also just like within the play itself, um, but highlights moments of their lives that, that I don't think any other like media would pay attention to, right? Like, mm -hmm. and even you can talk about the character of Catherine, mm -hmm. like she has such an agency and a gravitas. And we've talked about mm -hmm. this multiple times, like she really does drive this piece. And I'm just as curious as you, Irene, of like, what, what, what was he doing there? Mm -hmm. Because it speaks so, it speaks so much to today. Like mm -hmm. we talked about this earlier too, like mm -hmm. absolutely having her mm -hmm. take the stage, take the power and mm -hmm. really see her struggle. Um, that just mm -hmm. speaks loads and loads mm -hmm. to, to certain things going on today or mm -hmm. recently, but back then I, I would imagine it, it would be odd, I guess maybe mm -hmm. to have, to have, uh, to have like her, her character have so much agency. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions for this question. You know, like, <laughs> if I could ask Shakespeare and or Fletcher. Um, so I'm glad. I'm glad that I kind of I have a different lens on mm -hmm. some of these characters that aren't shown in in modern representations mm -hmm. of Henry VIII, right, and mm -hmm. his squad. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, lots of questions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well. Yeah, I mean, so I was the one that kind of really championed this question. We were writing them because coming into this with the marketing campaigns, and I remember the last time Stratford did this was Sarah Topham and Shauna McKenna. They were on the poster. And I remember going and thinking, okay, we're going to get a lot of uh, the two women going, kind of going back and forth. And we're going to get a very popular view of Anne Boleyn because obviously historically you'd want to write something that is favoring Anne Boleyn because of mm -hmm. the connection to the royal, to the most popular queen of the time, Queen Elizabeth. Um, and so the fact that I, I remember sitting there watching this play unfold and I, I, I known the big, big Catherine trial monologue. That was kind of the big thing I knew from this, but just watching this play unfold, I was like, this is really a love letter to Queen Catherine uh, versus anything else. Like the fact she's given so much power. And as we've, uh, said it she's the heart of the piece that you kind of go oh this is a totally different 
viewpoint of 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 history here because we forget now because Anne Boleyn is such a popular figure through Natalie Portman, Natalie Dormer, like mm -hmm. um, Claire Foy, like a lot of big names have all taken on the role of Anne Boleyn, and she's become kind of this modern day youth pop culture uh, queen uh, who changed England. But yet back back in the back in the time. She was like Anne Boleyn was not looked on very favor. Like she was, she, she was a polarizing figure of history uh, back then. Like Queen Catherine was beloved. Like when she died, yeah. even though she was no longer queen per se, the country like a lot of people went into mourning for her. Like she was a well loved figure of history. So the fact that these two playwrights who had uh, lived long after she had died wrote this piece that really kind of gave her back some of the love of the people that maybe people had forgotten about because oh we like elizabeth ergo we like anne boleyn and even in today's culture where everybody comes in going oh yay anne boleyn good for her or bolin as uh, as people sometimes debate on how you say her last name but the fact that no this is a love letter to uh queen catherine and just kind of her struggle and the fact that it is a very modern version of that and the fact that this play doesn't really villainize either side is another interesting perspective where it's not bashing Catholicism or Protestantism. Like it, I, I, you kind of leaves it in the gray zone of uh, I, I, certain pieces are like, yeah, no, we're full on villainizing the French with the Dauphin in Henry and Henry five, or like um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Hotspur in Henry four. Like they're very, or Richard the second, they are very clear historical bad guys or Richard the third notoriously was, mm -hmm lambasted by Shakespeare for the sake of the Tudor family. I mean, yeah, so yeah, I'll wrap up. I'll just say like, this is a very middle of the road piece, which is a different type of history play. So yeah, this is a fat, once again, fascinating play. But yeah. there we go. We did it. Woo! Hey. <laughs> Woo, fun time. So before we go, Irene, though, how can people uh, find and follow you on the socials and Tim as well? Oh, um, I, well, I'm, I'm on Facebook, just uh, okay. Irene Poole on Facebook. Okay. Uh, and I am on Twitter, although mm -hmm. I'm a very, I never t go there because it scares me. Yeah. People are mean. People are mean yes. on Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do have a handle and I think it's at Labradame. Labradame. Okay. We'll look it up at, and we'll put it, in I think it's we'll put it in there. At Labradame. And I think I'm on Instagram too. Tim makes me do these things to try to keep me modern so i believe i have an instagram and it okay. might be i don't know i have no idea what it is but we can figure it out we'll find it we'll find it and put it in the description below okay uh, thank you no problem and we'll also do tim's as well okay. um uh, he's easy then, he's easy to find he he does all perfect. the things and he's very very out there love it yeah love it uh jill where can people find and follow you and all your uh, antics. Yes, um, people can follow me. My artist Instagram account is Jillian.Robinson96. Um, and right now you'll see some musical covers and duets with folks to kind of mm -hmm. keep keep the whistle wet. Um, and we are up and roaring in um, uh, rehearsals for Venice Preserved. That is the next audio drama in the digital restoration series that I'm doing with Sweet Tea Shakespeare, um, a North Carolina-based company. We're pumping out um, restoration audio dramas and doing some one-off table reads mm -hmm. of restoration piece and also like um, late 18th century pieces too mm -hmm. and uh, some historical podcast stuff to go with that era. 
So if you want to jump ahead a uh, hundred years or so, um, yeah, so we're doing Venice Preserve. So I'm stage managing that and our live Zoom performance for that will be April 24th at 7.30 p.m. Wonderful. But if you go to my page, you'll see all the marketing materials for that. Love that. Yeah. Uh, well, you can find and follow me at Mackenzie Horner. You can follow my podcast before the downbeat, a musical podcast on all social media platforms. So Lots of great stuff there, but you can follow that. You also can follow uh, Cup Hemlock's podcast feed as well, where we're, we are re-releasing a bunch of our uh, older episodes, and then we will get this episode on there too in the near uh, future. But for now, you can listen to all our uh, older content. We just released an interview with uh, Bridget Wilson, another uh, Stratford performer, uh, as well as our episodes reviewing Othello and Christopher Plummer's Tempest. So you can mostly listen to those. Uh, as well but for now everybody uh we thank you all for tuning in on on this on this historical adventure we thank uh tim and irene for coming on and joining us for this we i, I mean just accepting the call and just coming on here being so open and, and talking and, and giving us such a beautiful insight into a piece that we never would have gotten if you hadn't joined us so thank you irene and tim uh, uh who's off who's off camera our pleasure. Thank you so much. It was so nice to revisit this play. And I have to say, it's the last uh, production I, I've done yeah, before everything shut down. So yeah. it's, uh, it was, it's been a real pleasure to get to, to sort of revisit it and talk about it again. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody, stay healthy, stay safe, and we will see you all very soon with our next review. All right, everybody, have a great night.